0: Reducing Polarization with Shared Values This week on the Science of Politics For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. We hear that partisans now hate the other side. Is there any way to reach the opposition? If polarization is based on differences in ideologies and values, we may be able to tone down the social distance or demonstrate that we share some of the other side's predispositions. This week I talked to John Kingsett of Ohio State University about his Journal of Experimental Political Science article, Who Do You Loathe? He finds that negative perceptions of the other party are driven mostly by ideological differences and are targeted at the politicians in the party rather than ordinary citizens. We may not be so tribal after all. I also talked to Jan Vokel of Stanford University about his working paper with Joseph Murnick and Rob Weiler, Navigating the Progressive Paradox. He finds that liberal candidates can earn support by framing their policies with conservative values, even though most stick to one side or the other we may be able to signal that we have a lot in common. Kingzat starts by breaking apart affective polarization into in-party love and out-party
1: hate. Actually, since 1978, there's been consistent question wording that asks, how do you feel towards the Democratic Party and how do you feel towards the Republican Party? Two separate questions, but they're both on the same scale where 0, from 0 to 100, where 0 indicates very cold or negative attitudes, 50 is sort of neutral or the midpoint, and then 100 is very warm or positive attitudes. And this has been, because it's been on the ANES for years, as consistently since, since the 80s, this has been how we've measured affective polarization. And typically, typically when people measure affective polarization, they have taken partisans' attitudes towards their own party and towards the opposing party. So if someone's a Democrat, they take their attitudes towards the Democratic Party, how they feel towards the Democratic Party on that scale, and subtract out their attitudes toward the Republican Party. And that's how they create a measure of affective polarization is sort of take this partisan difference in attitudes towards the two parties. The way I like to break it apart is to, instead of combining those into a single measure, is to instead look at sort of what predicts partisans' attitudes towards their own party and toward the opposing party separately. And the reason why I do this is, is first, there's simply not that high of a correlation between partisans' attitudes towards their own and opposing party in all timeframes. So I think the correlation in 1984 is something like 039 think the correlation now is something like 0.65. So it's something where there's a little more validity to combining those measures today than there was, wow, that's 40 years ago now. But if you want to look at sort of trends over time, I think there's good reason to break them apart into looking at in-party attitudes and out-party attitudes.
0: Most of the change is in out-party attitudes.
1: Since the 1980s, partisans' attitudes towards the opposing party or the outgroup party have essentially monotonically declined. And especially since 2000, they've declined pretty rapidly. But partisans' attitudes towards their own party have remained basically constant over the same time period with very small shifts year by year, but there's no sort of consistent trend. So we basically have in-party attitudes remaining roughly the same over the last 40 years and out party attitudes drastically becoming more negative and especially in the last 20 years those attitudes have become more negative there is a slight caveat so i actually looked looked at this yesterday so online samples report more negative attitudes towards the opposing party than sort of telephone or uh, or face to face interviews so a small part of that decrease in out-party attitudes or, or I guess, increasing negativity of out-party attitudes could potentially be simply how we are fielding the ANES survey. But most of it, I think, is sort of genuine attitudes shifting to become more negative.
0: But asking these questions about the party brings politicians to mind, not public partisans.
1: And most of the time uh, around the ANES, these, these questions, I think, importantly are asked How do you feel towards the Democratic Party? How do you feel towards the Republican Party? And what I find in my research is that when you ask those questions about the party, what everyone immediately thinks about is that you're asking about politicians in the party. That's that's sort of what's going to come to mind to survey respondents as they're being asked to report their attitudes towards the two major parties in the United States. So I fielded an experiment in which I asked people to report their attitudes towards the two parties, towards politicians in the Republican and Democratic Party, and towards uh, what I called ordinary people who belong to the Republican and Democratic Party. And what I find is that partisans' attitudes towards the opposing party and opposing party politicians are are essentially the same, but they have much more positive attitudes towards ordinary members uh, of the opposing party. So basically people get along or at least have more positive feelings towards sort of the the outgroup partisans that they might actually come across during the course of their everyday life compared to politicians and the party that, that we typically ask about.
0: Vocal finds that politicians usually run on liberal policies and rhetoric or conservative policies and rhetoric, but the best approach is to run on liberal policies and conservative values.
2: We find that candidates receive the broadest support from voters if they link policies that are intended to reduce economic inequality with conservative values or by talking about these policies. And linking them to conservative values, and in addition to that, we also found that find that currently candidates typically either run on economically progressive policies, so these policies that are intended to reduce economic inequality, and value rhetoric among liberal values, or on more economically conservative policies, while talking about them in terms of conservative values we find that there's a people are not really on the right quadrant in terms of like what would maximize voter support and yeah so and to like put that into a bit more context like the idea from this paper was that we started with the observation that while americans would like to live in a society With less economic inequality and typically support economic policies that would reduce economic inequality they typically do not elect the politicians that run on these platforms of policies intended to reduce economic inequality and yeah and like a big takeaway from that is that we often typically assume that certain types of policies and certain types of values go together but actually the link between policies and values is much more malleable than typically assumed so you can talk about policies intended to reduce economic inequality by linking them to moral principles or values such as reducing harm or economic fairness or equality. But you can also link such policies to values such as loyalty, respect for uh, families, or respect for traditions.
0: Moral framing is both possible and voters deem it reasonable.
2: The first work that has been done on this was on the environment. Like they Matt and Rob have shown that you can frame support for, for pro-environmental policies by linking them to this dimension of of purity so that you want to protect Mother Earth, that you want to keep the environment pure and sanct. Yeah, and so like this has been then extended more and more, and we were the first to like do it in a context of like, Political campaigns, and it's like we. I mean, like when we started this, right? Like, this was a question for us if we would be able to do this. And so like, it's like we thought, well, like you can argue for these policies from very different angles, right? Like, you can say, and that might be the most straightforward way for people because that's the way that it is typically done in politics. Is that like we? should increase taxes or we should increase access to health care because it will minimize harm that people are experiencing like these are people who are in need of more support but you can also talk about these policies such as more access to to health care by saying that you want decent lives for Americans who provide for their families and who have served the the U.S. in the past. Yeah. So, like, so, like, so like you could make a case for these progressive policies from a lot of different moral angles. And in the paper, we find that people perceive such arguments from different moral ang- angles as similarly consistent. So, like, they so they don't see a candidate as more consistent if they argue for these for these policies in terms of liberal values compared to when they argue in favor of these policies in terms of conservative values.
0: Some candidates do differ in what values they discuss, so the possibilities are out there.
2: By seeing that like, there is variation, for example, within the Democratic Party, but also within the Republican Party in terms of how... Our politicians talk about their policy platforms you can't see or like i guess like there was like some like some evidence that it is possible to do so in a way that is understood as um, coherent and to some extent persuasive. so like it doesn't seem impossible to do it in the current political environment to talk about progressive economic policies in like or like with more references to values such as harm and care versus more reference to loyalty and respect for traditions.
0: The sweet spot is in liberal policies and conservative values, but reframing could be a wider strategy.
2: Linking conservative symbolic politics and liberal or op- progressive operational politics together may like achieve the the broadest base of support because Americans like the or like the like majority of, of Americans supports progressive policies and identify as ideologically uh, conservative right so like that seems to have the like the biggest of the potential for forming a broad coalition but like uh, a replication of our study would certainly be interesting also because we find that using conservative value framing as a candidate who runs on economically progressive policies did not decrease support among liberal voters so like it might be that using liberal value framing as as an economically conservative candidate could reduce support among conservative voters because conservative voters may care mostly about this symbolic dimension. But like that is something that we that we don't know so far and is something that future research
1: needs to
0: explore. But Kingsat says that won't work for everyone. Affective polarization is still real for some.
1: It's still a majority of partisans have sort of negative attitudes towards the opposing opposing partisans. So so even towards ordinary people that uh, they might come across in the mass public. And there's even I think still about 10 to 15% who report sort of attitudes at zero. So they uh, feel very cold, very unfavorably towards ordinary people on the other side. I am not all that concerned about that. So so I think this, this is sort of where I think thinking theoretically and, and really carefully about what these results mean um, sort of compared to what we might find harmful for democratic functioning is really important. So it's really cheap to just say, yeah, I dislike Republicans or I dislike Democrats on a survey. And I think what's interesting and, and sort of one of the puzzles that I think I maybe haven't solved quite yet, but I think this research begins to sort of solve is we have we have these measures um, of sort of dislike towards opposing partisans. And yet we don't see, you know, widespread sort of discrimination in the mass public. Or I guess I should say, I don't think there's widespread discrimination, right? People work alongside people in the opposing party. People have family in the opposing party um, that they might visit a little less or or sort of set boundaries that we're not going to talk about politics or something like that. But they still sort of visit those family members, I think. I'm not that concerned about people uh, reporting their dislike on a survey. I think if those reports of dislike for opposing partisans really sort of bled into behavior in a powerful way, then I would be concerned. So, for example, let's say that let's say that even twenty percent of people who have family members who are in the opposing party, sort of stop having relationships with each other, sort of because of their, their opposing partisanship, I think that would be a real problem. But I think the evidence is, is that those sorts of rifts in real-life relationships are much, much smaller than the percentage of people who, who are willing to report negative attitudes on a survey.
0: And partisans don't necessarily even like all the ordinary members of their own
1: party. So I sort of expected people to dislike the parties, dislike politicians who belong to the parties, but have more positive feelings towards ordinary people in the parties for both the out party and, and their own party. Um, but what I find instead is that, is that partisans actually have um, much more positive attitudes towards their own party. So, so when they're asked to report their feelings towards the Democratic Party or the Republican Party—they're they're more positive than towards politicians in in their own party and towards um, ordinary people who belong to it. And I think I think what's going on here is that I think it's actually a signal that the parties are are good at what they do—at bringing coalitions of people together who might not share sort of policy positions or or not share all policy positions, who might have sort of broadly different sort of perspectives about how politics ought to operate and and that those parties are actually really good at doing that and, and sort of garnering support for the party brand, even though it's, it's a big camp. And so, yeah, I think that's part of it is, is that on that end, it, it's a signal that the parties are good at, at sort of building that brand up and making a variety of people excited about it. But I think when people think about the ordinary people who... So it's not that surprising that people report negative, more negative attitudes towards politicians than towards the the sort of broad party. That's not too surprising because people despise politicians. But the surprising finding is that people report more negative attitudes towards their own partisans compared to the party. And I do think it's because everyone can think about sort of ordinary people that they know in everyday life who who they share partisan affiliation with, or who they might suspect they share partisan affiliation with, but they don't like. So, uh, or they don't like their views, or maybe they've just angered them in some other way. And so I think that's part of it is that they probably don't share sort of policy positions or, or sort of broad perspectives with some of the people that they know also belong to their own party. So they report more negative attitudes towards those people.
0: Partisan identity drives in-party attitudes, but ideology explains out-party views.
1: When it comes to partisans' attitudes toward their own party, Easily the most important predictor is the strength of their partisan identification. So do people call themselves strong Democrats or Republicans? Uh, Do they call themselves Democrats or Republicans, but won't say they're strong Democrats or Republicans versus someone not even saying they're a Democrat or Republican in the first place, but then saying, yeah, I lean towards one of those parties um, at the onset. The strength with which they identify with their own party is easily... The driver of in-party attitudes which makes sense so so there's research in social psychology which shows that essentially in order to identify with a group or if you identify with a group you're going to have positive attitudes toward that group especially in the case of something like partisanship where you essentially choose to to enter that that group so pretty pretty clear that partisan identification or the strength of partisan identification is driving in-party attitudes when it comes to out party attitudes, the most important predictor is symbolic ideology, um, which is how which I measure with sort of a seven point measure of ideological identification. So does someone call themselves a strong strong liberal uh, to moderate to strong uh, conservative with with sort of some midpoints in there? The most important predictor of out party attitudes, and the relationships are sort of in the direction you expect. So. Democrats who are more liberal have more negative attitudes toward the Republican Party. Republicans who are more conservative have more negative attitudes towards the Democratic Party. But I also find that um, policy positions, and and I sort of created an aggregate measure of someone's liberalism or conservatism across a range of different policies, um, also predicts also predicts partisans' attitudes towards the opposing party, uh, and partisan identification also predicts partisans' attitudes towards the opposing party. So essentially, in-party attitudes are driven solely by partisan identification, but out-party attitudes are driven by both party ID, but also by ideology, and that ideology, both symbolic and sort of policy positions or operational ideology, both impact out-party attitudes.
0: Local sees some options for reducing perceived ideological distance. Even a technocratic framing for liberal policies might be unifying.
2: When we started out this project, we like had another technical frame, it's, like, it's like what we called it, which was like very much about like, we need smart, efficient policies that like should like ensure economic growth. Like we like modeled this based on an like, op-ed from Tim Kaine that we had read. And we thought, like, this is a sort of like amoral like alternative control condition. And then what we found in, in our research is that actually, like, conservative participants also perceive that as being consistent with conservative values, and and that it also like increased support compared to this other more neutral control condition that we had. So we're now interested in like like seeing if that is another set. Of, of values that could be efficient in in the political domain,
0: and they're working on research linking values to effective polarization.
2: And our lab also doing a lot of research on like the effective polarization part. Like one thing that we're interested in is like how effective polarization and also attitudinal polarization fit in with cohesion for democratic societies overall. So so, we want to explore that link more. As I've said before, we want to see if there are other values that are previously unexplored. For example, if like technical principles or neoliberal principles have become moralized over time and is now another way that you could could link um, policies to such values that have been moralized over time in order to shift typical positions on these issues.
0: Kingzat's other work finds that affective polarization might be easily softened with some basic familiarity.
1: These are sort of social distance items that are sometimes used to measure uh, affective polarization. Basically, uh, how comfortable are you or how happy or unhappy are you? Or how do you feel about um, having people in the opposing party that are sort of close to you in life in some way? Um, so so do you want to, to distance from them in your social relationships? Or are you sort of comfortable with having members of the opposing party around? And so what I did is I asked one of sort of the... Uh, Hallmark questions here, which is how happy or unhappy would you be if you had a child and they were marrying someone from the opposing party? And I also asked sort of a new one that that I came up with, which was how happy or unhappy would you be if you had someone who's in the opposing party being a neighbor? And a majority of people are actually unhappy with having an opposing partisan being a neighbor. 56% reported that they would be unhappy with that. But then I asked a follow-up question that says, now imagine these neighbors are kind people who always say hello to you. How would you feel towards those neighbors sort of given this information? And that number goes from 56% reporting that they would be unhappy to 8%. And, you know, I don't think those results are necessarily surprising but i think what they reflect is that is just how unimportant political considerations are for most people during the course of their everyday life right so so you have sort of neighbors who belong to the opposing party and i actually said they also put up yard signs to support the opposing party presidential candidate but if you just tell survey respondents that those neighbors are also nice they their level of negativity towards them just drops so far down. And so for me this this sort of answers the puzzle of how how most partisans can get along during the course of everyday life even though survey respondents survey responses of partisans are just so negative towards the other side, it's simply that most people aren't thinking about politics most of the time. They don't really care about politics most of the time and that sort of non political or positive non political information just takes precedence over sort of negative information or, or the information that someone belongs to the other side.
0: And Walker acknowledges that in the real world there might not be a big enough framing effect to counter our polarized politics.
2: It's only true like that it is a big limitation that like we did it on a hypothetical candidate. We also used a candidate that, that was given a name that was a male candidate, so like, that's sort of like another like potential moderator, like we don't know if it would work for a woman candidate, because we haven't tested that yet, if there was any interaction effect. I will say that like there is work in political science, right, from like David Brockman, Josh Collar, who found that like, in general, like the effects of Campaign advertisement and framing on on voting decisions is is very very small and probably non-existent or or equal equal to zero due to like especially in general elections when party cues are very salient. So like so like we so like, we did that and didn't like extra conservative test of our hypothesis by Making it salient that the candidate we presented belonged to the Democratic Party, so participants knew that, and our framing effects still showed up. Um, I would also say that the effects were like on a on a scale from zero to one hundred among among conservatives. The effect was roughly ten points. So, like I would say, like even though it may not like like be large enough to like bring participants from like like on a like dichotomous scale from like uh do not support the candidate to support the candidate a 10 point increase is quite big i would say we don't know if it would survive counter framing right like uh if like there was a big campaign trying to like argue against this sort of value framing like we don't know if the results would be robust to that as i've said earlier we know that participants did not perceive the link between policies and values as uh, as inconsistent and we obtained the effect for variety of measures So, like also like it like increased how, how principled and how well liked and how competent a candidate was perceived yeah so like so there certainly needs to be more work done in order to see like if such an effect could be obtained in the context of real campaigns with real behavioral uh, indicators but i do think that our results are enough to like warrant more research in this domain
0: Zet says some views are irreconcilable, but it's useful to find and acknowledge them.
1: On some policies, there's a little bit more room for compromise and room for people with different values to sort of meet halfway. And so I think there, you can sort of have debate and negotiations about what ought to happen. But I do think that, especially on certain policies and especially people who really don't share values, we are at a certain point irreconcilable. So we just have different views. We're not going to come to an agreement. But my perspective on it is that that is okay, and that that is sort of part and parcel of democratic politics, so long as um, sort of people agree to the rules of the game. So sort of, I, I, I think a lot of what the Republican Party is doing now is sort of trying to undermine democracy, basic institutions, and, and processes, which I think there, those sort of irreconcilable values with with sort of the small d democratic values that most of the Democratic Party has, or at least has heaps and bounds more than the Republican Party now, sort of, th- there should be a common set of, of sort of rules and norms that I think is not okay if there's differences. But then on policy, I think that's I just view it as part of democratic politics, is that at certain points, people are going to have different values. And, you know, I think we should sort of try to convince others that our values are right. I think that's, that's sort of part of the game. But sometimes we're just going to stand at odds. And that's okay. I think that's the the number one thing that I would like to to sort of bring across here is that I think there's so much punditry that decries that that we can't come to sort of agreements when, when a lot of people think very different things and have a different set of values. And I think it's uncomfortable to sort of recognize that, that there's irreconcilable differences and that there's not always going to be room for, for sort of good compromises. Sometimes, I think oftentimes there is, but I think people get uncomfortable with that idea and then say, it, it makes them fight even harder to, to try to find compromise and, and to sort of find policies that everyone can agree to. And I think it's important that at a certain point, we sort of accept, accept difference rather than sort of try to fight against it.
0: There's a lot more to learn. The Science of Politics is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center and part of the Democracy Group Network. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. If you liked this discussion, you should check out our prior episodes on Polarized Opinion on Climate Change and Messages that Move Conservatives and Are Americans Becoming Tribal with Identity Politics Trumping All? For now, thanks to John Zett and Jan Vocal for joining me. Please check out Who Do You Loathe and Navigating the Progressive Paradox and then listen in next time.